Uh, hey, we're, we're, uh, we're going through the Gospel of Luke. It's been uh, slow going, but fun, I think. At least fun for me. Um, last week we talked about John the Baptist and specifically about baptism. And I mentioned that we will be having a baptism here this, this spring. Uh, I don't have the details on that yet because we do not have a baptismal, so we have to find a location. We, we will probably do it at the Tigard Swim Center uh, down the road here next to the high school. Uh, but we have to schedule with them and make sure it's available. So I'll let you know as soon as we know. But we will be having a baptism uh, sometime in the next couple months. And I would just encourage you again, if you have not been baptized, to think about that. Uh, or if you were baptized as a child, maybe, and, and don't have much recollection or didn't have meaning to you, to consider that as well. And if you have questions, you can come and see me. We'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, so this morning, uh, we're continuing the next little section, Luke, talking about uh, baptism of a different sort. Uh, but before we get into it, I, you know, I want to say this. Um, I really believe that we are entering into a new season in the life of our church. I really believe that with all my heart. Uh, a few weeks weeks ago, Zoe had a word for us that was really consistent with what I sense in my heart, and I think some other people sense God's doing. I, I really think it's going to be a, a fun year, an exciting year for us. Uh, that we're going to go through some metamorphosis this year, some change, and I'll talk to you more about that later. But I, I really believe God's got some good things in store. And so I, I share that right now just to say that I believe today's message and our, our ministry time, our prayer time this morning, uh, is part of that. So our title today, if we can go to it, is Baptized by Fire. Woo-hoo! You like that? And uh, let's pray, and then we will look at our text in Luke chapter 3. So Lord, we just ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts today and open your word to us, that we might receive all that you have for us. Uh, that your word would be rich and full and meaningful and purposeful in our lives. your name we pray, amen. Okay, go ahead and go to the next slide because I need the scripture on there to read it. The people were watching expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And one more. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. As we said last week, John had been out living in the wilderness, eating bugs for uh, some extended period of time. He was a little wild and crazy. And uh, the people of that day, had many of them had taken the prophecies of Isaiah and some other Old Testament prophecies to heart. They were believing expectantly that a Messiah was coming. And so when John showed up, they naturally sort of thought, oh, hey, maybe this is the guy. This is who we've been waiting for. And they asked him those things. And John says, no, no, it's not me. Uh, He's coming. And I'm here to tell you about him. Uh, But I'm not him. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The, um, 
Language there, the, the definite article, the, it covers both the Holy Spirit and fire. So those are not two separate dynamics. It's really speaking of uh, two parts of one thing. So when he says the Holy Spirit and fire, that's kind of one thing together that he is announcing is going to happen when the Messiah does come. Uh, John then rebukes Herod. Herod was uh, king of the Jews at that particular time. Uh, he was not a nice guy. Had an illicit relationship with his sister-in-law. Some other things going on. Not not a really good person. John did what very often, uh, you know, preachers of justice do. We can think of people in our day and age, Martin Luther King and others who speak out against injustices. And uh, as is sometimes the case, John paid the price for that. Herod put him in prison and that ultimately led to his death. Um, That would not be in any way to say don't speak out against injustice, just to say sometimes that happens. Um, He says that the Messiah will come and baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. What does that mean? What exactly does baptism in the Holy Spirit mean? We talk about the Holy Spirit. We say the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So what exactly does that mean? Um, you know, it's, I was thinking about it. Yeah, I've heard all those illustrations. S- somebody had the water and ice and steam, the three forms of the same thing. I've heard all those things before. Uh, the reality is this when it comes to the Trinity. I, I don't think we can fully understand it. And I, I, my guess is that's by design. That it's a mystery. It's beyond our ability to comprehend because if we could figure it out, we'd be as smart as God. Uh, But we're not. And so it's a mystery. There are three parts of the Godhead. uh, They're equal but different. Uh, One thing that's helpful for me personally is that they do have different roles within the Godhead. They're they're all part of one, but they they function differently. So uh, it's helpful for me. When I think of God the Father... I think typically of the bigness of God. God is big. And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been um, somewhere at night where you're out, you know, away from the city lights and all, and you just see the stars in the sky. Just, man, it's just, uh, I've been out in the desert a couple times, and there's shooting stars, you know, and you just, you, you, get, you think about God. And sometimes just when you see the vastness of creation, you know, you just think of God and how big God is. Uh, and so, so that's sort of God the Father. And then Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is sort of, to me, the more personal part of God. Uh, he's relatable. He's a person. He came to earth. He was born as a baby. He grew up. He was a teenager. You know, uh, he had zits. He, he, he lived life. He was a normal guy, but he was God. But the point of him being a normal guy is that he understands us. He, he, he's relatable. He gets us. He knows kind of what we go through. The Holy Spirit is sort of uh, with us and among us uh, right now. He's in us now. He's here today. He is sort of the the presence of God in our midst at the moment. Uh, hit the next slide there. Something that I, I think is, is helpful is this. Uh, go back. There you go. The Father is transcendent. He's everywhere. Jesus is incarnate. He came as a person. The Holy Spirit is imminent. He is here now. We read about the Holy Spirit uh, throughout Scripture, but less so in the Old Testament than the New Testament. He is in the Old Testament. Whenever the Old Testament mentions 
uh, God's presence, uh, it's really talking about the Spirit. So, so when, you remember we were praying this morning, I was reminded of the passage in Exodus where God tells Moses, you can go into the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses says, if your presence doesn't go, we don't want to go. Well, the presence of God is the Spirit of God. That's what he's in reference to. We see the Spirit all through the Old Testament in, in kind of a, a little bit different way, even in creation. If you go to Genesis 1, please. Uh, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Uh, the, the Hebrew word there for spirit is ruach, and it means breath, so the breath of God. I think about God spoke all things into being, but before he spoke them into being, he was just breathing, and the breath of God was beginning to stir creation and bring it to life. It's an awesome image if you think about it, the breath of God. The spirit in the Old Testament was manifest in a few people, not in everyone. So we see the Spirit of God, for example, in Moses. And in in the book of Judges, the Spirit of God was in some of the judges as they carried out their ministry. Certainly in some of the kings and in some of the prophetic people. But it was sort of uh, reserved, if you will, for kind of a select few. However, some of those prophetic voices began to say that a day was going to come when the Spirit of God would be in everyone wouldn't be in just a few people. He'll come on everyone. And notably, of course, is Joel. Joel 2 says, we know this verse from Acts, afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your men will dream dreams. Uh, Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. I always think that's appropriate because young men are awake. They can see visions. Old men take naps, and so they dream dreams. Very fitting. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Um, I, I, I always think, what would that have been like for the original audience to hear? They were aware that the Spirit of God was on prophetic people. The Spirit of God was on certain ones. But now they're saying the Spirit of God is going to come on everybody. Really? Everyone, sons and daughters? Everyone. What will that be like? Uh, that it had to be... Uh, stirring for them to think of that happening. And of course, we're, we're jumping ahead a little, a little bit of ourselves here, but in, in, at Pentecost, uh, in Acts chapter 2, that, that's what happened. The Spirit of God came and filled everyone in the place, and they saw what? What looked like tongues of fire on people. So it was a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. From last week, you remember that the word bap- baptism, baptizo in Greek, is just simply to dip. So they were dipped, if you will, in the Holy Spirit. They were dipped in the Holy Spirit. John tells people that, no, this isn't something I'm going to do. The Messiah is going to do this. Not me, not anybody else. The one who's coming will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. What I want us to recognize today, a couple things, but the, the, the main thing is this, that this is, this is a central concept in the kingdom of God and in Scripture, that it's not a peripheral issue. It's not an addendum or an add-on. It's not an option. It's not uh, superfluous. It's nothing. It's it's a central core issue. This is what uh, you know. My pastor growing up would say uh, that one of the main and the plain things of Scripture. Sometimes we hear, uh, you know, kind of language. This distinction between 
spirit-filled or charismatic and non-spirit-filled churches. I even, I was driving recently somewhere, I can't remember, somewhere around here, and I saw a sign uh, in front of a church that said, a spirit-filled church. So I thought, well, what does that mean? By implication, does that mean that the church across the street is not a spirit-filled church? Is that, you know, so I don't know where those distinctions come from because uh, the scripture indicates that, go, go one more for me. Who will the Spirit be poured out on? All people. Uh, who's it for? It's for everybody. Uh, you know, and I, again, I, I did. I did a little word study this week. We, we're doing this teaching team, and I'm, we're, we're learning to use the Greek interlinear and look up the different words, and uh, I looked up that word all. Guess what it means? Yeah. It means all. Everybody. Um, you know, as we said last week, by this time in history, water baptism had become fairly common. People were anticipating the coming of the Messiah, so they were making themselves ready, preparing themselves for the coming of the Messiah. And part of the way they would do that is by uh, being baptized. Bless you. But this now here, this was a little different. This was sort of a, a, a new thing. This was kind of next level, if you will, uh, to be baptized in fire and the Holy Spirit. But as I said, it really is central to Christianity, and I believe it is essential to Christianity. Give me the next uh, verse, please. Acts 1.8, Jesus speaking, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus says... You will receive the Holy Spirit. Not you might receive the Holy Spirit. You could. It's possible. Not some of you will. Not super, super spiritual select people will. You all will receive the Holy Spirit and you'll be my witnesses. There is a definite cause and effect to this. Let me say this. God has called us, folks, to be his witnesses. Our role, our job, our task while we are here, we are here with a purpose. Anybody ever wonder, why don't you just you know, get the do not pass go, do not collect $200, go straight to heaven? Wouldn't that be easier? Anybody ever wonder that? Uh, maybe in a downtime kind of thinking, I wish you know, we, we could just go straight to heaven. The reason we're here is that we are called to be witnesses of Jesus. We are called to share who he is with the people around us. The reality is this, that we cannot do that on our own. We need power to do that. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses, but you're also going to need some resource to accomplish that. And the Holy Spirit is the resource. He's going to come and fill you because you need him, you need this to do that. To be my witnesses, you need the Holy Spirit. And as we mentioned at the day of Pentecost, of course, that is what happened. Next slide. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Um, sometimes there is a question that comes up and maybe some confusion with that. Don't all believers have the Holy Spirit? 
Don't we have the Holy Spirit if we are disciples, if we have uh, you know, said yes to Jesus and we're following him? Go to the next slide. Paul says in Corinthians 12, Therefore I want you to know that no one is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the answer to the question is yes. When you accept Christ into your life, you make a decision to follow after him, you begin to organize your life around that, you do have the Holy Spirit. That is true. What is also true is that Scripture makes a distinction between having the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. There are two separate dynamics. As we said in Acts 1, the the people that Jesus Jesus is talking to there are believers. And yet he says to them, the Holy Spirit will come. Okay? There are at least a couple of other instances I want to look at in Scripture where a similar dynamic takes place. Go ahead and go to the next slide. In Acts chapter 8, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for who? The new believers. They were already believers. That they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So these folks were already believers. They had the Holy Spirit, but they had not been filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit. Go one more. Uh, Acts 19, a similar situation. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior, arrived at Ephesus, and there he found some disciples, followers of Jesus, and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And then if you read the remainder of that chapter, he goes on to lay hands and pray on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And I would just add, I was thinking about, this was, that was my experience as well. I shared with you last week that I grew up in a denominational church and was not baptized until I came to the vineyard. And the same was true of the Holy Spirit. I, uh, I was a believer. I, I, you know, was very active in the life of the church and did all the things that a Christian is supposed to do. But I was like these guys. I had not even heard there was a Holy Spirit. I didn't know anything about it. Um, interestingly, though, my experience was that I experienced the Holy Spirit before I heard about the Holy Spirit which I found to be an interesting uh, order of events. But that's the way it happened. I actually kind of, by random circumstances, which really was the Holy Spirit, ended up at this little house group that became a church that eventually became the Vineyard. And the first night I showed up there, uh, it was weird for me. I I was from a denominational church where it was very formal. Stand up, sing a song, sit down, stand up, pray a prayer, sit down. Very formal, very structured. So I walk into this living room, this, it was a big living room, but it was packed full of people. And everybody's talking, having coffee, it's all like a big party. And then a dude comes out with a guitar and a stool, and he just sits down, and he starts playing the guitar. Nobody says, we're going to start now. There's no, like, no cue. He just starts playing. That's the cue. And when he starts playing, people stop talking. They all sit down and start singing. I'm like, okay, that's weird. Um, But he starts playing these songs, and about two songs in, I start crying. And I don't really know why I'm crying. I'm just crying. But I can't stop. It's super embarrassing. I'm 19 years old. I'm in a room full of people I've never seen before, and I'm crying. 
Um, so the singing goes on for what seemed like an eternity. It had to be five hours or 45 minutes, I'm not sure. Finally, when the singing stops, I'm able to stop crying. First of all, while they're singing, I'm crying. I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm afraid people are going to look at me, and I look around. Nobody's looking because they all have their eyes closed. That's weird. So it finally stops. I stop crying, and this other dude stands up and says, okay, now we're just going to break into groups and pray for each other. So, like, how does that work? I didn't know where to go. How do you get in a group? So I just kind of hung for a minute. And the next thing I know, there's like four people around me. And I said, oh, now I'm a group. And this guy says, can we pray for you? And I, I, I said, yeah, sure. And he said, what would you like us to pray for? I don't know. I had no idea. I, I, I don't know. That was my answer. So they prayed. And when they prayed, just the, uh, you know, Bible talks about peace that passes understanding. This peace came over me. It was just like phenomenal. I just sat there. I go, I'll just stay here forever. I don't really want to move. It was so amazing. And it was just the presence of the Spirit of God I had never experienced before. So, uh, now I'm lost. Um, The point is simply that there is a distinction. Yeah, when you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit, but I want you to know there's something more than that. That there's a filling of the Holy Spirit that's a profound thing to happen. And I would add this, it's not, it's not just a one-shot deal either. We talk about the baptism of the filling of the Holy Spirit, and there's, there's, a, there's an entry point, there certainly is a start to that, but I would say that it's continual and ongoing, and, and we won't go into the study today, but if you look at the, uh, the verbs in, in the Greek, you, you realize that, that they are present imperative, which means that they're continual, it's an ongoing reality. When I used to teach this to youth groups, the illustration I would use is that it's like gas in the car. So when you have a car, if you, get a, you can get a brand new car, really cool race car, sports car, whatever you want, big monster truck, I don't care. All the, all the bells and whistles, you know, you get a really cool car, uh, but it's, it, it can't go until you put gas in it. So you fill the car up, and then you, can, then you can boom, you can vroom, you can zoom around, you can go places. But sooner or later, the car's going to run out of gas, and then guess what? You stop again. You need to fill back up. You need to keep filling up. So it's sort of like that with the Holy Spirit. We get filled, and God empowers us to be witnesses and to do the things he's called us to do, but eventually we run down, we need more. So it's an ongoing reality in our lives. We need to be refilled all, all the time because the, the task that God has for us isn't done. I want to mention too, uh, there's a teaching, it's not as prevalent anymore, and so maybe it's not applicable to anybody here, but in case it is, or in case you heard this, just for clarification, real quick, I'll say this, that to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you do not necessarily have to speak in tongues. Some people say that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues, that's the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled. Uh, Not so much. So, so, So... 
That's based on, there are, there are three passages in the book of Acts where believers are filled with the Spirit of God and they speak in tongues. There are also three passages in the book of Acts where people are filled with the Spirit of God and they prophesy. There are at least two other passages in the book of Acts where people are filled with the Spirit and neither one of those things are mentioned. And so the point is that you, you may or may not, but if you don't or didn't, don't worry about it. You certainly can if you want to. I think you can ask God, and maybe you will speak in tongues. Uh, you know, I, I think it's one of those gifts that God's happy to give if you ask for it. Uh, but it's not required, necessarily. The principle there, if there is one, I suppose, is that we don't base doctrine on historical precedent. That will get you into trouble every time. Don't base doctrine on historical precedent. Just because something happened this way once doesn't mean that's the theology that will always lead to that, okay? Um, There is a definition in Scripture of what does happen when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. So go to the next slide, please. Acts 1.8. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, at the end of the earth. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens? We receive power and we become his witnesses. Next slide. Receive power, become witnesses. That's what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Receive power, become witnesses. That, that's, a, that's pretty much guaranteed. That's the plan. Uh, we're all to be filled with the Holy Spirit, all people. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we will be effective witnesses for Jesus, to give testimony to who he is in the world today. That's how God designed this thing to work. That's really what our job is is to share the goodness and the grace of God with people, and we need the presence and power of the Spirit in us to do that. Uh, That said, you might speak in tongues, you might not. You might prophesy, you might not. You might laugh, you might cry, you you might uh, shake, you might fall down. I don't know, any one of those things could possibly happen, but don't get caught up in that. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Does that sound fair? Sometimes we get focused on those things. It just, you know, I, I would say don't get focused on those things. If they happen, they happen. But, you know. The goal is to be empowered by the Spirit that we can be as witnesses. That's really the goal. I, I, I want to add this. I, you know, I, I said earlier that this to me is uh, a, a core central issue of being a Christian following Jesus is to be filled with the Spirit. You can disagree with me if you want. But it's my conviction. I believe you can be a believer. You can be a follower of Jesus Christ. You can have the Holy Spirit in you. You can read your Bible. You can pray. You can be a relatively good person. And yet have no supernatural dimension to your life. I think that would be sad. Personally. I just think God wants us to have a supernatural dimension to our life. He is God after all. I think we need the power of the Spirit in our lives to be the people God's called us to be. And I think we need the power of the Spirit in our lives to do the things God's called us to do. That without that, we will be lacking. It will be much more difficult to be effective witnesses for Jesus without the presence and power of the Spirit working in and through our lives. If, If we if we truly want to see our community here that we live in today, right now, our neighborhoods, uh, if we want to see that transform for Jesus, if, if we want to see people come to Christ, if we want to see healings happen in our midst, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And again, I think we can be good people. We can, we can have a, a dimension of joy, a, a dimension of hope, and a dimension of peace in our lives. But if we don't have the presence and power of the Spirit, there's no fire. I, I really think that we will, we will be ineffective at doing the things God's called us to do. We, we can't, I don't think we can be all God's called us to be. And I believe God has a call on us as, as a church. I believe this church has a specific call in this place at this time, in this community, and that to, to, to do what God's called us to do, to be who he's called us to be. We really do need his spirit. So uh, we want to press into that. And, and this morning I want us to, to pray for that. I, just one, one last little thing. How, how does it happen? How, how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, that's a fair question. Um, and I would say this, it's, it's not magic, there's no manipulation. You know, I, I've seen all the, and you've probably seen them too, people get all hyped up and worked up and sweaty and the sweat rag and all that stuff. And, you know, but you don't need to do all that. You really don't. You, you, know, you don't need to, you know, you don't need to jump up and down and scream and get loud or, you know, anything. It's pretty simple. And if you go to the next slide... If you then, though you are evil, and that's a comparative there. Uh, he's not really saying you're evil. He's just saying you're not God. If you know how, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the process is really this. I, I, there, I guess there is a formula of sorts. Ask and receive. Pretty straight up. Ask and receive. Why don't you guys stand, and the band can come up. And while they're getting ready, I just want to pray and ask God to fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit today.